0: So Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 39, this is the holy, inerrant word of God. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and put them at his feet and he healed them. So the crowd wondered, when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called the disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat. And he went to the region of Magadon. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. I've heard many people say over the last couple of weeks that they feel like just kind of one day runs into the next day. they have heard on multiple occasions someone say they feel like they are in that Bill Murray movie Groundhog Day. And then you think, you read this text this morning, you think, ah, your preacher's stuck in Groundhog Day. Haven't we heard this text already? No, it's a different text. It sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it? We were just in chapter 14, and we saw Jesus feeding the 5,000 men plus women and children. And now we're in Matthew 15, and we see Jesus feeding the 4,000 men plus women and children. And there are a lot of similarities There are also some differences, but I think the similarities, part of the reason it's there is for a purpose. And I want to look at this text here this morning. Let's see if we can find a few things to learn from this text together. We saw last week that Jesus had just ministered to that Canaanite woman. You remember that dog of a woman up in Tyre and Sidon in the north country. And, and now he has come down, Matthew tells us. He has come back down to the Sea of Galilee. And Matthew tells us that he has gone up onto a mountain. And as he goes up onto this mountain, great crowds come flocking out of the cities when they hear that Jesus has come there to their region. And they come, not just themselves, but they come carrying all kinds of people with different maladies, with bodily pains, with sickness, with deformities, and Matthew just tells us very simply there in verse thirty that that Jesus healed them. We then see a very similar day, a very similar scene that we saw in the previous chapter. That after three days of Jesus ministering to these people with these different maladies and physical deformities, that. Then he looks at the crowd, and he has compassion on them, we're told, because they were hungry. For three days, they had been with him, and they had nothing to eat. And Matthew tells us that Jesus was unwilling to send the crowds away hungry, without food. And he lays the problem before the disciples like he did in the previous chapter And here I want to observe the first thing about this passage. Christ has compassion for the malady of forgetfulness. The disciples' forgetfulness is, is frankly astonishing. You think just in the previous chapter... They have seen Jesus feed 5,000 men plus women and children, and now we're just a chapter later, and there's less people. There's 4,000 men plus women and children. They seem to be faced with the same circumstances, and they seem to have the same initial response. They say, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? They were here before, not as this exact place, but they were in a desolate place. And in Matthew chapter 14, as they are here in Matthew chapter 15, they're in a place with a lot of people who were hungry, but they are also in a place with Jesus, but they forgive not because they were absent-minded. It's not as if the disciples couldn't keep an idea in their head. They could. But rather, their assurance that as Christ worked, so He can and and will work. It's strange. But then again, it's not so strange. There's a kind of what I would call spiritual amnesia, forgetfulness. That's at work in most of us. We see it throughout the Scriptures. We see it in the Old Testament. The Israelites have their back to the sea. They seem to be without hope in the world. And then the Lord parts the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry ground. But then it's just a few days later. They're complaining about the lack of food that they have, and they want to go back down to the Egypt where there was food. What forgetfulness that the Lord, the Lord provides. He can do mighty things. Think like of Moses, he see, has seen the Lord provide manna from heaven. the Lord says he's going to provide Water from this rock, but Moses in an act of unfaithfulness doesn't just strike the rock once as the Lord says to do, but he strikes it twice in an act of unfaithfulness. The capacity mankind has for unbelief cannot be overstated. We suffer from spiritual amnesia too easily, forgetting that the Lord provides And the Lord is good. And this is surely one of the greatest signs of our fallenness. We forget. There's that wonderful refrain, and it's so sweet to trust in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust Him more. He's proved His faithfulness o'er and o'er, and we prove our sinfulness o'er and o'er. My friends, the Lord is the same yesterday, is the same today, and is the same forever. He doesn't change. He doesn't change from the feeding of the 5,000 to the feeding of the 4,000. And he doesn't change from the feeding of the 4,000 to today. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to keep reminding ourselves of this. The The world around us can change. The world around us does change. But Jesus does not change. He's the same. Forgetfulness is a malady we want to be cured of. Is there anything more simple than the thought that God is unchanging and that He's worthy of all of our trust? Is there any thought that's more simple? And yet, for sinners, it's one of the hardest things to believe. And so we echo that hymn, ah, for grace to trust Him more. So let us secondly observe the compassion of Christ and remind ourselves again. Jesus, I think in many ways, is performing this miracle a second time here to 4,000 instead of 5,000 as a reminder to His disciples, look, you have to remind yourselves of this. But I am a Christ of compassion. One of my favorite things in the Bible is what is said of our Savior there in Isaiah 50, verse 7, where it says, Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. I, I often think of that prophecy of our Lord on this week, during Holy Week, especially on... This Sunday, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he set his face like flint, and he entered Jerusalem. He knew what awaited him in Jerusalem, and yet he enters the city. He sets his face like a flint, and he goes in. There's no reluctance in our Savior. He is moved with all compassion. I want you to wrap your minds around that this morning. Try and get your mind around that. There's no reluctance in our Savior. Christ shows compassion for their physical needs. When this crowd comes to them for healing, He grants it. He shows compassion for their daily needs. When they are hungry, He provides for them. He says, I have compassion on the crowd, verse 32. There's no reluctance there. There's no hesitation there. He has compassion for their physical needs. He has compassion for their daily needs. The crowd has been coming to him for three days. Much like we saw and we talked about and the feeding of the 5,000, you know, Jesus, when he went away there, he went away because he was tired and and needed rest. And yet that crowd of 5,000 plus women and children kept coming to him. And he was seeking rest. He had compassion on them it's much the same in this scene. He's been healing for three days. I can't imagine the exhaustion. Person after person coming to him for three days. He hears heals that person with palsy, and, and then immediately there is put before him a a woman that is blind and he heals the woman of blindness and immediately a father puts a small child into his arms that is suffering from muteness and he heals the child of muteness and then another is brought before him and he heals that one. The physical, let alone the emotional strain of all these people with real life personal issues pulling on him. And only on him, nobody else can do what he's doing. And he just keeps healing for three days. Imagine if you had a relative or a loved one, a friend, have been suffering from seizures for 15 years, and you heard that Jesus was in the region, this miracle worker that has been healing people, it wouldn't matter if it was 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. You would pick up that person and you would go. And you put him before Jesus. I truly wonder whether he's even had sleep for three days. All these people. It would have been exacting. And yet, as we see in the feeding of the 5,000, so it's true with the feeding of the 4,000. It's the people he has in mind. He's a Christ of all compassion. He's a willing Christ. I was listening to... um, Infectious disease expert who I've been following since COVID 19 showed up here in the US. I, I've been following him because I was speaking with him before all of this happened. He was helping me with something else. He is a, a physician at Mayo Clinic and he is one of the top disease, infectious disease experts in this country. And so he was helping me with something else, and as soon as COVID-19 hit the United States, uh, he got a little busy. Uh, And I've been following him as he's been on different podcasts and different television programs and in different journal articles and different newspaper reports, and uh, people have been interviewing him. I was listening to him on a podcast yesterday, and He said that for nine weeks he has been working 16-hour days. And he said to the interviewer, he said, please bear with me if I stumble over some of my words. I'm a little tired. If you were to ask him, Doctor, why have you been working 16-hour days for nine weeks? Is it because... They'll fire you if you don't. Is it because you have to? Your employer is forcing you? His answer, of course, would be no. And his answer would be, it's compassion. There is great need. The demand is great. Disciples, they're always ready to dismiss the crowds when people make requests, but not Jesus. He's the Christ of all compassion. One commentator said that of all the feelings spoken of Christ in the Scriptures, joy, anger, sorrow, zeal, none are mentioned as often as His compassion. I think that's true. Why? My guess is is because we need to be reminded of it the most. We tend to forget it. Forgetfulness is a malady. When the impoverished, whether physically, materially, or spiritually, are before Jesus, he ministers to them. He is a Lord, a Christ of relentless compassion. But this is not simply the compassion of a doting mother that we see in the text who has all compassion but can't do anything to, to help her child. Notice that he has empowered compassion. He is the Lord of all strength. He sees He has compassion, he heals. He recognizes the need. We can even say that he is moved by the need that is before him, and he provides. Matthew simply says in verse 30, he healed them. All these different people with different ailments are brought before him. the blind, he heals them. The mute, he heals them. The lame, he heals them. The crippled, he heals them. The diseased, he heals them. He's not only a Christ of compassion, but of strength. He's not like the hucksters of that prosperity gospel out there, or that faith healing movement out there. He restores. He actually heals. He works effectually. He has all compassion, and he has all strength. And I must remind myself of this. And you must remind yourself of this. Because we are so prone to forget it. I'm praying to Him, if I come to Him like these people came to Him, and I come to Him as a sheep of His flock, He hears. And He has compassion. And He exercises His strength. But what if What if he doesn't answer that prayer as I desire? Well, It's not because of a lack of willingness. It's not because of a lack of compassion, lack of willingness to relieve me. I must know. I must know that and remind myself of that must know that somehow, according to his infinite knowledge, that he knows that which I do not know. And that as he looks upon me with all compassion, that he is doing something in me. He is shaping me. He is forming me. He is molding me. He is preparing me for something that I more desperately need. that I obviously cannot see. An unbeliever will say, well, that's pretty convenient, Christian. No, it's not convenient. Makes it very hard. It doesn't always answer my prayers as I desire them to be answered. But in the midst of that hardness, there's a rest. Because I know that he is the Lord of all compassion when he looks upon me. And I know that he is exercising his strength for me. I know it. Why do I know it? Because he's proved himself over and over. He's the same yesterday as he is today. And he forever shall be. There is never a time that Christ does not look with compassion upon his people as they live in this fallen world. And there is never, ever a moment, not a millisecond, that he's not exercising his sovereign strength for every single individual sheep of his flock. Jesus' compassion for his people is a well that has no bottom. And his strength for his people is a fortress and a citadel from which not one brick can be removed. He has compassion and strength. All compassion and all strength. He has compassion for our physical needs. He has compassion for our daily needs. And finally, Christ has compassion for spiritual needs. Jesus, the compassionate and all-powerful Savior, is aimed at something. There is a crowning glory to everything that he does and everything that he says. He tells us in that high priestly prayer in John 17, I just want you to listen to the the word that is repeated over and over, just in the opening verses of that prayer. He's praying to his Father, and he says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given authority The Son came into the world to glorify the Father. The Son's mission statement was and forever shall be seeking to give glory to the Father. That's why He came into the world. That's why He sends His angels forth into the world to give glory to the Father. That's why He will gather all of us before the throne on that last day to give glory to the Father. That's His aim. That's His purpose. Why does Jesus heal the people in this crowd? Yes, because He has compassion on them and wants to show them that and demonstrate His love and bathe them in that compassion and love. That is an aim, that is a goal, but it is the penultimate goal. The ultimate goal. Is to give glory to his Father. The Son is always laboring for the Father's glory. Verse 31, the, the crowd wondered. They were stuck, struck with awe. They'd never seen anything like this. Here's a man that is healing and giving sight to the blind. He's giving voice to the mute. He's healing the crippled. I've never seen anything like this. And that wonder leads to what Jesus is aimed at worship of the Father. Matthew says, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus is not simply a miracle worker. He's a worship leader. He's seeking to lead people in worship before the Father. His compassion, His strength, they are always being worked in our lives aimed at this, to give glory to the Father. It's frankly, I think, an astonishing thing in the text. In scholarly circles, this passage has created no little bit of discussion. Scholars will argue and say, well, it's the same event. What we saw in the feeding of the 5,000, it's the same event as we're seeing here in the feeding of the 4,000. Matthew made some kind of mistake. Well, then, so did Mark. It's not a mistake. The scene is similar, the questions, the doubts are similar, but there are differences. The number to start with, the number of people, there is a different number. The number of loaves of bread, there is a different number. The number of basketfuls that are left over, there's a different number. Even the term used for baskets is a different term. It refers to bigger baskets here in this feeding of the 4,000. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus tells them to lay down upon the grass. In the feeding of the 4,000, He tells them to sit down on the ground. Why? Because there is no grass. It's a different season. It's a different scene. It's a different time. But here's what's truly important. And what should not be missed. This is a different audience. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, he's in Jewish territory, and he's feeding a mostly Jewish crowd of men and women and children. But the feeding of the 4,000 men plus women and children is in Gentile territory. That's why Matthew places this account after the account of that woman from Tyre and Sidon, that Canaanite woman, that dog of a woman, that Gentile woman. Mark tells us that when Jesus came down from that region of Tyre and Sidon, he went to the Decapolis, that is the east side of the Sea of Galilee, Gentile territory. And that is why Matthew here exclaims about a Gentile crowd. They glorified the God of Israel. They. It's the only time he uses that phrase, the God of Israel, in the entire gospel. Why? Because he's astounded. He was there. He, as a Jew, saw 4,000 men plus women women and children glorifying his God. Why? Because they knew. They knew that their dead pagan gods couldn't have done what Jesus did. And so there was worship to God in heaven as a result. Jesus has compassion on them. He has compassion for their physical needs and their daily needs. And and they are astounded by what he did. And it leads them to worship the Father. You see, that's the great miracle in this text. Yes, the blind see. Yes, the lame walk. Yes, the mute speak. Even greater, you have Gentile sinners worshiping the Father in heaven. These people had an even greater need than their physical maladies. It's not that their physical maladies were somehow unimportant. No, Jesus ministers to them. He he meets those physical needs. He doesn't dismiss their daily needs, but he is very much concerned and shows compassion for their spiritual needs. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, makes that famous comment that if you and I, Christians, could see one another as we will be one day in glory, that we'd be prone to bow down and worship one another. It is equally true that if we could see each other in our sin-disease state, we would be absolutely horrified by one another and recoil from one another. If we could see the deadly effects of sin in one another, the compassion that would be stirred in us would be monumental. If we'd been on that mountain that day with Christ, as all of these people were brought forth with their different physical maladies and different deformities, it would have been an incredibly emotional day for you and I. It's hard, isn't it? You're looking upon people that are disfigured and you know that that's not what mankind is supposed to look like. When you see someone that's in pain, there is this sorrow that, that grips your innards, that just kind of turns them. It's emotionally taxing. What would it be like if we could see one another spiritually as we truly are. If we could see the lost as the lost. If we could see their souls in that mangled, deformed, deprived, malnourished state. I wonder if we'd be moved with more compassion The world community has responded with drastic societal measures over these past few weeks. It is unheard of in the history of the world that the world would kind of act country by country like this, and it's right because physical death is a real threat and COVID-19 is a deadly virus. If only people would see sin. As such a deadly malady. I wonder how many of us, even as Christians, see sin this deadly. Every person we meet is, as C.S. Lewis said, quote, an immortal horror or everlasting splendor. He said, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as a life of a nap. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendor. all created to wonder and worship this God of Israel. Do we look at our neighbors and our friends and our family members and our co-workers like that? Ah, I want to have compassion like that. very practical things this week. Three practical things. Let me give you three. One, this is Holy Week. You got an opportunity this week to look at people with compassion and to recognize that as awful as COVID-19 is, and, and I say this in carefulness, But we have to say this as Christians. Sin is even worse. Because it's immortal death. And so you have an opportunity this Holy Week. So what can a church do that we, we can't gather together in person? We can't go out and serve our community together in person. Well, there are things that you can do. Almost every single one of you is on social media. So first thing. Would you fill your social media with Christ this week? Yeah, with Christ. And would you point people to good articles and good quotes? Point them to our streaming services on Thursday night and Good Friday afternoon and Easter Sunday. There will be people that will watch a live streaming service that would never darken the door of a church heard that repeatedly from some of you these past couple of weeks. So, would you put it out there? Would you invite people? Have compassion for their souls. It's a small thing, but who knows? It might be the very means the Lord uses to exercise His strength in their life and bring them to saving faith. Second, what can a Christian do in times like this? What can the church do? We, we can't gather together and go out and serve our community. Well, you know what? One of the greatest things we can do to serve our community is pray. And I wonder if it would have been the first thing we would have done if we could gather together, because it should be the first thing that we do, because there's power in prayer. It's the greatest way we can serve this world and our community and one another. Would you commit to praying fervently? Take time every day to pray. Tonight, we have a prayer meeting. Would you come to the prayer meeting online at six o'clock tonight and pray? And the elders are going to call you to a time of prayer, I believe, this week. And would you participate that and pray? Third, would you keep having compassion for one another? Call one another. Oh, one person every day, just touch base, someone you don't usually talk to, and pray with them. We serve a Christ of all compassion. We want to have a heart like he has a heart. Oh, Lord, help me to have compassion as you have compassion. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we exalt you this morning. We want to give you all glory as Christ would have us give you all glory. May we be a people of compassion who serve you, who serve our neighbors, and serve one another for your glory and praise. We pray all of this in the strong name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.